Hey, I'm Scott from Seattle. I'm Holly from Chicago. Hey, I'm Josh Stevenson from Moscow, Idaho. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. The comedy world, like any other, is full of secret heroes, people who aficionados know about, and you, the regular person on the street, might not. John Glaser is one of those people. Like so many of our great comics, he came out of the Second City in Chicago, and he went on to write for a series of cult programs. Among them was The Dana Carvey Show, where he wrote alongside the creator of Triumph the Insult Dog, Robert Smigel, and uh, Louis C.K., the brilliant stand-up comedian, and Charlie Kaufman, the famous screenwriter. It was an amazing show, but short-lived. He wrote for Late Night with Conan O'Brien when it was at its most ridiculous and contributed some of its most ridiculous moments. He's always been attracted to something that's slightly off, just a little bit of a strange turn on a normal situation. Last year, he had the chance to create his own series for Cartoon Network's Adult Swim, and he made Delocated. It's a faux reality show about a guy who's in the witness protection program, and because he's in the witness protection program and on a faux reality show, he has to wear a ski mask and use a voice-altering device at all times. Of course, when you're wearing a ski mask and speaking in a digitally altered voice, it affects your life. Delocated is about those effects. Take this scene, for example, in which John Glaser's character, John, has found himself a superstar in the world of lullaby CDs because his digitally altered voice is so soothing. This is Napping Sounds with John, take one. Welcome to Napping Sounds with John. Got a lot of tired babies out there, so let's get right to it. You know, I've been told I've got a very soothing voice, so don't try to fight it. Think of my voice as a fist. Think of you trying to stay awake as the face. Think of that fist punching that face right in the face over and over and over again. (laughs) Fasten your weird belts for that one, because the only place you're going to see something like that is in a town called Weirdville. Yeah, a waitress, I'll take a tuna melt, hold the weird. It comes on the side. In case you couldn't figure it out, I was pretending to be in a diner right now ordering food. I knew that. Know what they call a diner in Weirdville? They call it a weird. Know what they call food in Weirdville? They call it food. Sounds good. If at this point in the album, you're listening and your kid's still awake, you bring the CD back, you get your money back. That's what I call a bargain. That's the John guarantee. <laughs> John, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. You grew up not too far from Chicago. Was the Second City always a goal for you? It's such a, I mean, it's so much the cornerstone of Midwestern comedy, at least outside of stand-up. Yeah, it was. I grew up in suburban Detroit, and my mom got me tickets to a touring company show that was playing in Ann Arbor. Saw that and really loved it and kind of felt like that was what I wanted to try. So it was halfway through college, I called them, just called the theater and asked if they ever did auditions for the theater or for the touring company and found out they had auditions and uh, you needed a headshot and a resume, which I had, of which I had neither. And I made, I sort of just made a headshot, like basically just took all of the lamps in my apartment at the time 
and put them <laughs> put them into a corner and had one one of my roommates take a couple pictures and if you looked closely I don't think I have this photo anymore which is which would be a real shame it was really really awful and you can sort of like see where my sho- you know I, I think it was my right arm I'm holding up one of the lamps and you can sort of see where my shoulder is sort of raised <laughs> but barely it's like you have to look for it but it's there you know made a made up some kind of resume and just took the train from Ann Arbor to uh Chicago when I was in school. I think those auditions tend to be populated by the, you know, hundreds of people who percolate through the Second City classes and training academies. Um, what kind of experience did you have when you just sort of showed up and said, hi, I I attend the University of Michigan? Yeah, I just had to make stuff up, although some stuff I had, like, I my re- at the time I had done, like, the comedy show at University of Michigan and had actually taken a year off of school and traveled with that show. We, you know, the, the friends of mine that I did that we did the show that I did the show with, we just sort of made our own tour just by cold calling. This is before the internet, so we really had to go like buy, you know, go to a bookstore and libraries and buy like you know a book of, you know, I think we started with like some big book of financial aid, and then we call <laughs> like all the financial aid departments. Can you put us in touch with uh, you know the school entertainment division? It was a lot of phone calls. And we eventually were able to cobble together a tour and did that. So I, when I showed up for Second City, my resume was just probably three things, you know, so these two comedy shows and the very little stand-up I did in college and just would put like – each one had like bullet points. You know, it was like comedy company, improv, an extensive part of rehearsal process, like all this just dumb stuff <laughs> where they probably just looked at it and were like, whatever. That is that it's a pretty remarkable achievement though being able to put together a comedy tour through cold calling. Did you when you did that was it something that you expected would just work naturally or did you have any idea that that was kind of a ridiculous idea? I think it was both. I mean, we sort of figured this was ridiculous, but we felt like there's no reason that it couldn't work. I mean, looking back, it's amazing that it did. I mean, we were able to pay our rent and you know, we did literally travel the country in a in a 15 passenger van and you know our home base was Ann Arbor and we got as far as California up to Seattle and Washington and and back I want to play a little bit of this performance uh these these characters that you've done with your friend John Benjamin um uh-huh. who, who's sort of been your um comrade at arms for many years uh it's called the Forget Buddies <laughs> And uh, maybe you could explain what what the premise, such as it is, of uh, these, this character duo is. It's basically two dicks that like to say forget about it. <laughs> and a, a lot. And they call themselves the forget buddies And all of their material is based on that word and the saying of the word a lot. And, you know, they we had a candy bar called the forget about it. And it was really, the whole bit was a, a pretty funny, but... Pretty stupid. <laughs> this is you, John Glaser, and John Benjamin uh, performing uh, performing what you imagine the commercial for the Forget About It candy bar would be. Folks, you're not going to believe this, but the, the Forget About It's got a new candy bar on the market. <laughs> the Forget About It. Forget About It candy bar. So it? we wrote an ad about a candy bar. And it goes something like this, folks. Excuse me, friend. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what are you eating? Forget about it. Oh, come on, what's the name of that candy bar? I like, I like candy, and I might want to go to the store and get some. 
What do you call that thing? Forget about it. No, seriously, I want to know the name of the candy. I said the name. Forget about it. Hey, come on, buddy. I just want to know the name of the candy bar. What do you mean, come on, buddy? You forget, I said forget about it. The name of the candy bar is forget about it. Oh, I see. The end. Thank you. Appreciate it. I think between that clip and uh, that clip that we heard from Delocated, people can tell that you have a very, um, a very specific comedic sensibility. Yeah, probably um, a lot of people listening going, this, this guy's weird. <laughs> kind of a weirdo. What I found myself wondering when I was imagining you in a Second City review. Maybe some listeners are going, he sounds cute. Was where, <laughs> where and how you found that sensibility and like whether that jived with, say, the Second City, which is a very, you know, it's, a, it's generally very traditional in form and uh, content. Yeah, I think, you know, and with Second City, a lot of it is just contingent on who you happen to be performing with at the time and who you might meet along the way and just end up in a cast with. A lot of it is really out of your control. There's a lot of places, you know, where people were doing improv, you know, besides Second City, like at the Improv Olympic, which is where I met a lot of great people and learned a lot more long form stuff that a lot of people do, like where a lot of people really got their training. And then that got brought to Second City with some of the shows that I had done. And we did more of that when I got there. And it was really a lot of it is just, you know, your experience sometimes is dictated by who you end up in a cast with. And I ended up in a cast with really good people like Adam McKay, Scott Adsit, uh, Rachel Dratch, this woman named Jenna Jolovitz and this guy named Scott Allman. I read that one of the characters that you did in that Second City show was uh, a, a running character who came out and criticized the audience for laughing at things that were inappropriate to laugh at. Yeah. He was called the moralizer (laughs) and it was basically just me and I wore a balaclava, which had the whole face, you know, you could see my whole face. It wasn't like the ski mask I wore in delocated, but I did, I wore that, but then I wore these really cool welding goggles (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I remember I would just ride my bike around Chicago and there was some store and uh, they just had these welding goggles in the window and I just loved them and I just thought they were very cool and I bought them and just tried to think of something for the to, to use them for and then we came up with that character and it seemed funny and he was just super smug and I came out you know in this like you know kind of cool tweed sport coat with this black turtleneck and the hat and the welding goggles and just chewing on licorice and <laughs> very confident and you know very very angry to the audience for laughing yeah basically for laughing and what i like is that as you describe that costume you're describing that as though that's a character type that we're all familiar with the guy (laughs) who wears tweed and a turtleneck and a balaclava and welding glasses and is always chewing on licorice yeah basically (laughs) it was a it was a pretty cool it was like this dark green kind of green and black tweed it was pretty cool The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by Field Notes Brand, makers of American memo books and more. Now featuring county fair editions, one for each state in the United States of America. Field Notes Brand. I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Fieldnotesbrand.com.
It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian, writer, and actor John Glaser. He's a hero in the underground comedy world who's just made his breakthrough in his own television program, Delocated, the second season of which just started on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. You left the Second City, if I'm not mistaken, to write on um, a, a great show, the Dana Carvey Show, um, which was short-lived on uh, ABC, but uh, has recently come back on DVD and on Hulu if people want to check it out. Um, I, I want to play a little bit of a sketch that you wrote uh, called uh, World Leaders in Their Baths. And now another installment of World Leaders and Their Baths. Bath time. It's me time. It's time to forget my troubles and, and lose myself in a world of uh, fantasy and imagination. I, I like to cover myself in uh, the, uh, in the, the bubbles and, and pretend, you know, I like to pretend that I am a giant uh, bubble creature. I like to, you know, I will, uh, I will throw bubbles at you. I, I am a giant bubble creature, you know. Because, no, please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me, bubble creature, please. And, uh, yes, I will hurt you. I am a, a giant bubble creature with the bubbles. And, and bubble tank, uh, look at it, bubble tank. No, no, I laugh at the tank. And, uh, <laughs> you see, because I am a giant uh, bubble creature. <laughs> the Dana Carvey show was such a remarkable confluence of talent, um, especially on the the writing staff. It, it was really the you know the list of people who wrote on that program. Um, is basically a, a who's who of alternative comedy over the next 10 or 15 years. What was it like to be on that show? And, and also, what was it like to merge this absurd, wild sensibility with um, the sensibility of uh, Dana Carvey, which, while sometimes absurd, was also quite quite different? Uh, it was, you know, it was, that was my first big job out of second city. So it was a pretty cool first job to get. It also had like Carell and Colbert, who I knew a little bit from second city, they got hired and that, that was kind of helpful for me. Like Colbert and I would have a lot of walks after shows or rehearsals and just walk for a little bit and chit chat about what was going on and the craziness of it. And, you know, yeah, it was weird. I think in hindsight, you know, everybody thought this is just like this, going to be this really cool show and primetime comedy and it's got this dream time slot right after home improvement and it's going to be sandwiched between that and this new Muppet show and it was like the worst time slot you could give that type of show the cold open of the very first show had Dana playing Bill Clinton he was being a nurturing president and he you know was taking literal steps to do that and it was really really funny but a lot of people he had this like chicken's body <laughs> below his waist and then he had taken hormone implants and had like eight nipples and they had this really hilarious and disgusting prosthetic so when he opened his shirt there was just these like just gross deformed nipple like saggy nipples and he had puppies and kittens come in and they were suckling and there was like milk dripping out of him so it was just the really kind of like horrible and you know obviously hilarious image but if people were coming from home improvement and ready to watch the Muppet show. I don't think they were 
ready for it maybe. And, and they, we got really hilarious hate mail. My favorite letter was some guy who wrote a letter like, you know, I'm a Republican and I would never vote for Bill Clinton, but you do not disparage the presidency of the United <laughs> States like that kind of a letter. It was pretty funny, but. Um, you wrote for many years for uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And I, I want to play a clip uh, from the show. This is very early in the show. I think this is this is like 1998. Um, this is a sketch called The New Spring Characters in which Conan and Andy Richter are presenting a new slate of characters that the audience will be enjoying in the coming months. Um, and one of them is you as a character that anticipated uh, the, uh, the protagonist of your show, uh, Delocated. Uh, our next character, ladies and gentlemen, is a very talented person. Uh, he's a very fine impressionist who unfortunately witnessed a mob hit. That's right. He's an impressionist who now is in the witness protection program, but he's still doing amazing celebrity impressions. Please welcome Kim. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Conan. Andy, thank you. Folks, for my first impression, I'd like to do Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life. <clears throat> Hello, Bedford Falls. It's a wonderful life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My next impression is of Jack Nicholson from The Shining. <clears throat> when I'm not going to hurt you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, folks, don't look now. Here comes Kate Hepburn from On Golden Pond. Oh, Conan, you old poop. Thank you. That's my time, folks. Thank you. It seems that Conan, especially in those early years, had a similarly specific, speaking of specific aesthetics, um, it was often just a demonstration of a really silly idea <laughs> or a series of really silly ideas. That seems both very suitable to you and like it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a pretty great job. I, I think another word for besides silly would be stupid. <laughs> That's the word that comes to mind to me a lot. It's funny, like the word stupid and dumb gets tossed around a lot at delocated. And to me, it's, it's I always have to remind people that it's a, a compliment. But uh, yeah, I mean, Conan was, I mean, that was such a fun job. And really for me at the time, and it was just such a dream job because it was just getting to come up with and do the, you know, just they would indulge weirdo dumb crazy ideas and they didn't have to be long they couldn't be long and it was extremely fun in that sense and uh that was a pretty great job brian stack was on the sound of young america a couple of years ago and uh, he was he's been a writer on conan for many many years he did a character on the show that was a ghost that lived in the theater of a 1940s radio crooner uh, all of whose songs were really racist because he was from the 1940s. I think between that and uh, the impressionist who's doing everything in a digitally altered voice, uh, you can kind of get a sense of how ridiculous the characters are on Conan. Um, you created a lot of them. Were there any other uh, favorites that you had? Uh, I don't I mean, there was a guy that I did. It was, and he just did it once. I think it might have been my favorite thing I did on the show. It was this Maraca player who was sitting in with the band. 
And it was really fun because we, we did it from the get go. Like we really treated it like it was this real thing where I went, I had this really just ridiculous costume. I had like this great, you know, black haired <laughs> wig that was just styled really beautifully and this really great pencil thin black mustache and this crazy orange and black outfit just that had tons of frills on it and just these tight black pants and, and two maracas, of course, and just came out there before the show even started. Like right before Conan came out for his monologue, I went out with the band. So, you know, they, you know, the announcer announces Conan, he comes out, the band's playing, I'm there playing with them. So I was there from the very beginning between every commercial break, they'd cut to the band and come back from commercial of the band and I'm there with them. And they did the whole first half of the show and I'm just there. They never talked about it, never commented on it until halfway through the show. It comes, you know, they come out of a commercial and Conan's like, hey, so we obviously have a guest with us tonight. Uh, Max, tell us who we got sitting in with the band. And, you know, Max is, doesn't know. He says, I don't know who this guy is. I thought this was your guy. And Conan's <laughs> confused. No, I, I, thought, I thought you handle all the musical guests. Andy, is this a friend of yours? And he, I don't know who this is. Sir, I'm sorry, who asked you, who invited you to sit in? And I'm just sort of standing there with this just dumb look on my face and then just, you know, just all of a sudden make a break for the exit, trying to escape. And I'm running in this ridiculous costume and getting to the elevator and hitting the button frantically and doing the Morocco. It's hard to, it's impossible to describe. It sounds ridiculous, but it was very, very fun. I think that might've been my favorite thing. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the writer, actor, and comedian, John Glaser. Let's talk about Delocated. Um, We heard this character that, um, uh, is at the center of Delocated in his sort of origin story and uh, on the Conan O'Brien show 12 years ago. Um, was this was this absurd idea just something that you held on to in your back pocket for that intervening 10 years? I mean, basically, you know, the whole thing with the character that I did at Conan, it's, uh, it's obviously a different character. It's not the same thing, even though it's in the witness protection program. You know, the, the, the evolution of the character was that I, I had done it live, you know, before I got hired and it was in my pitch packet uh, for Conan and the character had more of a joke attached, which we just heard um, about doing impressions. But just the more, you know, the, the character, the, the larger tone of the character was just this super smug guy and that to me was my favorite thing about it and I always sort of wanted to do something just with that character, you know, removing the joke from it and just doing more of a smug guy who's in the witness protection program to the, you know, and he's arrogant to the point that he wants to put himself on TV. And I just always liked the idea of that. And, you know, after I'd quit Conan and was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I, it was something I always wanted to do something with. And thankfully I've gotten to do it. Long story short. What part of the character, as you started to imagine it as, as more than just a joke you did 12 years ago was appealing to you in terms of its, you know, humanity. Well, I think, yeah, it's always got to feel, even though it's a phenomenally ridiculous and completely unrealistic premise, I think because of that, it has to, at least has to try to feel as grounded as possible, if that's possible. And obviously we're making massive leaps, you know, just even in just plain logic. I mean, you just have to go with it or you don't. If you like the idea, great. And if not, obviously it doesn't work for you. But to me, it always has to sort of feel real. And obviously, to me, the the main thing about the show is that we just play things very real, very straight, very earnest. Uh, otherwise, it just becomes too ridiculous. And obviously, the show 
does get ridiculous at times, but that to me is just always the key. I mean, I know every time I, des- I describe that, I always feel like it sounds pretentious, but I feel like it does have to have that emotional resonance. And if you watch the show, it is really playing things somewhat seriously at times. And there's even a, a line in the first episode this of the second season where one of the Russian hitmen verbalizes to the network executive that they're taking things over and it's not a silly comedy any, anymore. It's a silly drama. And it wasn't even a line that we wrote intentionally. It just is, but it really more or less captures what the show is. But uh, to me, maybe that's why it works. I never want to say why it works. It works for various people for whatever reasons, but that's one thing I like about it. On the blog of uh, the show, a couple months ago, uh, you posted pictures of the balaclava that you wear um, a- as the character John and claimed that it that you had been using it to play this character for um, uh, since the very beginning, since 12 years ago. I just watched it for the first time last week. Oh, that is so gross, John. It was pretty disgusting, and it was like one of these things where I felt like, I'm not wearing it that much, and it's not that smelly, and I'm not that sweaty, and it just, you know, whatever it is. I, I was... Really, the main reason behind not washing it is because it's a there's it's it's a one of a kind mask. I don't remember where I bought it. I don't. I, there's no tag inside, so we couldn't write the company or find out who made it to get more. We actually tried having some made, and nothing could quite match. It was a it's a really just kind of unique piece of uh, clothing. So I was really afraid of washing it for fear that it would just fall apart. So this season. I just I couldn't not wash it because it was just so hot and I was so sweaty. And then the last thing we shot, the the, the final scene was me at a campfire. So it got really, really stinky. Uh, but I gave it a couple nice, delicate hand washes. Did you use Conservators Washing Pace Orvis brand? <laughs> I've never heard of that. But uh, what is that? Oh, well, my mom was a fabric conservator when I was little, so... Man, oh man! So is that like a fabric softener, or it's is that like a... a horse? It's a horse shampoo. Will you? Pl- <laughs> but it's like the gentlest. But it's like the gentlest oh. cleanser you can buy, and they so they use it to to conserve textiles. True story. Please email me. I'm not kidding. A link to that so I can find it. Well, John Glaser, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on the Sound of Young America. It was really fun to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our associate producer, Julia Smith, our editor, Nick White. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally. Our intern is Christian Natividad. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download any of our shows absolutely for free. And when I say any of your shows, it's more than just the sound of young America. You can also check out our comedy talk show, Stop Podcasting Yourself and Jordan Jesse Go, as well as our sketch series, the Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast, and more. It's all free at MaximumFun.org. If you have thoughts about the show, you can email me at Jesse at MaximumFun.org. I think I've successfully made it through the recording of this week's program without fainting from heat stroke, but only by the barest skin of my teeth. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America.